Hello, and a very warm welcome to today's episode of Finding Me, Rebuild You and Your Life After Domestic Abuse. For generations, domestic abuse has been destroying lives. COVID-19 has meant the cases have risen at an exponential rate, with all the effort and support focusing on getting women and children out of immediate danger. On average, it will take a woman with children at least five years to rebuild their life. This podcast is not just for those in an abusive relationship and trying to escape, but also for those who are already on the slow and often incredibly painful path. In this series, we're hearing direct from survivors who have been in that situation and hearing their journey of recovery. In today's show, I'm talking to DM. DM is a male survivor. He was in an abusive relationship and found the courage to get out in 2019. We will hear about how he turned things around. I'm your host, Natalie War, and this is Finding Me, we build you and your life after domestic abuse. DM, a very warm welcome to the show. Now, by way of a quick synopsis, DM was in an abusive marriage. He was physically, emotionally and financially abused. His partner was actually receiving treatment, but she refused to maintain it. And as a result, it led to years of domestic abuse, including stealing his identity to take out loans, emptying his bank account, having countless affairs, constantly putting him down. And then he was abandoned, leaving DM to deal with the bills and their young son alone. His partner would leave for weeks, months, even a year, and then would just turn up without his consent. Now I know that whilst you have, I've given that quick synopsis, quite rightly, you don't want to talk about the abuse that you've been through. And let's be honest, that's not the focus of this podcast. And the reason that you don't want to talk about your abuse is because you're clear in your own mind that you're moving forward um, and your abuser has taken so much. So why give them any more space? So with that in mind, can you tell us how long do you think it's taken you to rebuild your life, DM? Sure. Um, Well, for context, um, the duration of our relationship spanned for about seven, eight years. Um, So it did technically, it did definitely take a little bit of time to get through it. Um, I would say that my journey for rebuilding my life um, probably began around 2019. Um, That was really the year where I made a very conscious decision that I really just want better for myself and for our son. Um, You know, before 2019, I feel like I was basically just reacting to all things that were taking place um, and not really considering the impact that was having on me and my son, you know, emotionally for the long term. So basically, like, you know, after like the, you know, millionth time that uh, an incident took place and police were called and, you know, all of the drama ensued and my son was there and I just kind of looked at him and decided that I just wanted it to change. So in 2019, I started to really just focus on um, my own personal development um, and going to therapy and trying to rebuild and support and support my wife, sorry, my my uh, son, rebuild and just really support my son um as I tried to figure out kind of what was next for us. Yeah, what a journey it's been for you. And, you know, we've we've had a show about talking about therapy as well. So I'm aware of how important that 
the role of therapy can play. Definitely. Can you set out what the key things were which you did, which helped you rebuild your life aside from therapy? And how did you do it? Uh, sure. So um, I've taken a very a somewhat standard approach. Actually, I teach it now um, as a psychologist um, to my love, my coaches. But it really starts with, like I mentioned, really just understanding yourself. So you really have to define what do you want your life to look like, look like. So I started with just trying to figure out where was I trying to head to? You know, everyone wants change in their life, but you don't really know where you're headed. So I took the time to really, truly define what was success, what was a good life for me. Um, you know, I define, you know, really just where did I want to go? And once I did that, I was able to be realistic with myself as far as where I was at the current moment. So in my, you know, DM 2.0, you know, I was like, well, I really want to complete my PhD. I really want to have a stable household for my son. I want to be financially stable. I want to have, you know, a non-toxic relationship with family and friends and, you know, have a, a voice speak for myself. All these different things. I kind of, I wrote them down. I, I literally wrote them down and was like, this is kind of, who, you know, who I want to be. And so then I took the harder part, which was to reflect on who I was at that moment, which was very, very different from who I wanted to be. And by being off myself, thinking about my strengths, my limitations, my my uh, challenges, my needs, um, and figuring out where I was at that moment, I had to basically come up with a plan from point A, which is where I was at that moment, which was not very good, and then the point B that seemed very far away. But in real, um, when you're looking at reality, you can create a feasible plan to really get to anywhere. So of course I did. I utilized therapy a lot to help me with the self reflection piece and to help me be realistic about where I was. And then I tried to you know gain skills as far as communication, social skills, um, you know, professional skills academically in order for me to get to where I ended up wanting to um, to go. And of course, that a lot of that is also self-care. So I focus a lot on, um, you know, working out and, you know, even skincare. You know, I grew my hair out. I wanted to feel good about myself um, and so I could build the confidence I needed to be successful and to keep being motivated to, to reach my ultimate goal. And that's so inspiring, I think, to listen to that about where you were and the methodical approach which you took to get to where you are now. It sounds like you've achieved so much. Yeah. So you have a little boy. How do you effectively manage things around him? Um, I think many women and men would cut these people out of their lives and, you know, and you'd cut them out far, far easier if there wasn't a child involved. So if I think about my own situation, for example, when my abuser has reached the point which he knows that he can't manipulate me anymore, it then sort of transfers over to the child. Mm -hmm. And how do you minimise that impact? Because it seems to me that, you know, all of the work that you have done, you've been laser focused on yourself and on your son so how have you done that sure so i would say at first it was somewhat difficult to to try to manage only because during a lot of times um she was physically present in our lives so it was only so much i can do to control special relationship that she has with our son considering that she was physically here um but somewhat fortunately um she in her mania stages she would leave like um, like you mentioned like even for a year or months or weeks and so we started to formulate, I guess, a bond and a relationship and a schedule expectations without her. And so, and this happened so early on, he was so young at the time it was happening that it didn't really impact how he um, kind of like interacted day to day. So when when she would leave or, you know, abandon us for duration of time, we kind of just formulate our own life without her. 
um, to the point where, you know, when she, when she did leave permanently or not permanently, technically when I filed for divorce, when I filed for divorce um, and we moved and she no longer knew where we lived and I gained full custody, then we were able to kind of go on as we were before that even took place. So I would say my situation was, is somewhat unique in that um, abandonment was a large part of her abuse um, and neglect. So that I was able to kind of formulate this life just focusing me and only on me and her and him without much intervention from her. And she she didn't really fight fight it too much. She kind of like, well, it's just easier for her not to deal with it. Um, so I was able to somewhat use that to my advantage to be able to establish a stable life for um, for my son while still focusing on trying to um, develop myself as well. Mm. But he also does go to therapy. So I want to know that he, he does attend therapy as well because, you know, that's a big it's a, you know, it's a really big thing to put on a child, you know, to have to adjust to. So now you realize that I didn't want to, um, I didn't want to feel like I was stifling him for me to talk about it, or I didn't want to, you know, try to explain it only from my own perspective as being a victim. I wanted him to be able to work through it himself and with someone else who was more objective and could help him really to understand his feelings. So he does attend therapy weekly just to make sure that, you know, he's able to talk about that. And how is he doing? Because I think um, I always, as someone who, myself who goes through therapy, I keep in the back of my mind that, you know, watching my daughter's behaviour to see if there are any signs that she needs to be in therapy, because I think my abuser took the opportunity to share things that didn't need to be shared with her um, about our relationship. And that that has an impact on that child. And, w- and we know that it has an impact on the child. And I talked to her about it and she says that she feels sad. So I'm really on the lookout. So how do you feel that the, the therapy has been for your son? Sure. Well, um, I feel like for one thing, I, I think that it allows him an outlet. He is able to talk about things and not feel like he's going to be punished um, you know, granted, I don't punish him for communicating, but, you know, there's still that stigma, you know, of a, of, for a parent-child relationship that there may be repercussions. And he knows that when talking with his therapist that he doesn't have to necessarily deal with that. Um, and he trusts her quite a lot as far as what he's willing to open up to her about. So I feel like as far as just him being able to talk it through and discuss anything that comes to mind um, has been good for him because he talks about it. He actually says he enjoys therapy quite a lot. Um, it's not now. I won't even say that it's not even necessarily always about her. To be honest, most of the therapy sessions, from what we've gathered, is mostly just about his day to day. You know, he's seven years old. He's you know he's he's worried about his friends and he's found a new crush um, and things like that. So it 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 was initially centered around the divorce and trying to make sure that he can transition. We were also moving at the time, you know, and so I had moved a lot of time before that. I also realized the impact that my frequent moving. And her constantly abandoning, that was really unstable for him. You know, my moving was professionally. I was a consultant at the time and I was just, just for work and I was also in the military before that. Um, but I realized the combination of us frequently moving um, and her, you know, leaving, there could have been attachment issues for him. So that was the initial reason why I felt it was important. Um, but these days, you know, it's a lot better. I also am remarried and, you know, he calls her mom and we're actually in the process of her legally adopting him. So, I mean, he has, you know, he just sees himself as having two parents and he's really happy and content with where things are right now. But I, again, I think that it should always be an open um, an open forum, especially with his therapist, to talk about it if feelings ever do rise, you know, or, you know, feelings of neglect or shame to come back up where he maybe has questions about why, you know, his mother is not around. Sounds like he's doing really well, which again is, it's really heartening to hear. Yeah. 
So what do one thing do you recommend to listeners to do in the early stages of a, a relationship to avoid what you went through? Sure. Um, so it kind of goes back to what I ended up doing. I wish I did it earlier. Um, but um, really, it's just to find what your life looks like just for yourself. Like truly just consider at the moment in which, you know, you start recognizing that things are abusive or doesn't have to be abusive. Maybe they're just not going the way that you think they should go for whatever reason. It's your right to say it's your life. Um, take the time to take that feeling seriously and really assess, well, where is it that you're wanting to go? Right. And so actually how I break it up with my clients is in four or five different kind of components. Um, it's, you know, what do you want to do with your life? And what you want to do is not just about your job. Most people run to their job and say, that's what I want to do. But it could be anything. It could be, do you want to volunteer all day? Do you want to lay around? Do you want to travel? Do you want to work? Whatever it is. Well, what do you want to do? If your day-to-day was exactly what you want it to be, what does it look like? Right? And then you go into then, well, who's in my life? And this part really tailors into the relationship part. So based off of what you want to do, who's involved every day? Do you have friends that you talk to every day? Do you have family that you talk to every week? Do you live near close by to them? Like, you know, what's your relationship with the individuals around you? Define truly what relationships look like for you that's healthy and happy. But only you can define that. And then it's where do you want to live? So based off of what you want to do and who's your life, you can kind of scope out and say, do you want to live in a house? Do you want an apartment? Do you want to live on the beach? Do you want to live in the States? Do you want to live out, you know, abroad? Where would you feel most comfortable and where would you be the happiest? And then you want to go to what's my financial situation? So financial situation does not imply that you're rich. It doesn't imply that you're a millionaire, which is everyone kind of runs to. It's just, do you want to, you know, do you want to be financially stable? And what does financially stable look like to you? And then lastly, who do we make an impact on? And who do we make an impact on is so important because it's not just what you do, but who is it that you're positively affecting? Who is it that you're influencing? Who is it that you're motivating? Um, who, you know, and that could be your children. That could be, you know, your, your employees or whomever. When you think about your life from those five measurable perspectives, it kind of helps you to see, is this person going to be my partner and help me get there? Is this person next to me going to help me grow to achieve my goals? Or is this person a burden, a hindrance? Are they blocking me? Do they not believe in me? If I tell them where I want to go, are they going to support me? It helps you to really be able to determine, objectively speaking, if this person is a resource to you or if they're not. So that's kind of how I always kind of recommend it, taking the more objective, taking some of the emotions out of it and seeing like a point A, point B, a plan. Is this person going to be supporting you to help you get to where you truly want to be or they're not? And for what reasons are they not? So think about through, is it, are they abusive? Are they neglectful? Um, are they just toxic in general? Um, or maybe they're just misaligned. Maybe they want different things than you. Whatever the reason is, as early as you can, figure out who you are and where you're going. And then you would determine then who should who's who should who deserves to go along with you essentially the the plan and plotting that out is something that everybody should really take away because there's some real value in that in relationships today people can just stumble into relationships and you know, you can just be in a relationship well, and if you've got low self-esteem, well, no exactly. one else is going to have me. But you're not actually seeing that they're adding no value whatsoever. And you're just sort of, you're just doing it for the sake of it. If you actually sat down and wrote about a lot of what you have just talked about, those five points, then actually that's really going to, that's really going to open your eyes, uh, mm-hmm. you know. And I think in the other other episodes we've talked about journaling and you know and I think really that builds on this in the sense that you know there we 
People need to be very strategic and very mindful of the decisions that they're making. Just because you're in a relationship and it's matters of the heart, you still need to be very mindful and think how this is adding value. Exactly. Absolutely. Yeah. People like to fall into emotions and fall into situations when in reality you can step into it. You have the ability and control of your own life to simply step into love. And and then as you're stepping into love, you're able to evaluate if this is the right decision for you and be able to walk alongside your partner. You know, you don't fall into anything. You can walk and, and pace yourself and understand where you're going, understand if they're going with you and understand if it's the right direction. You have that ability if you consciously consider it and, and really work through it. And not let anyone else define it for you. Your partner can't define it for you. Your children can't define it for you. Your parents can't define it for you. Only you can define what success is, what happiness is, what contentment is. And what one thing do you recommend listeners do? Or you might tell us more than one. But what do you recommend listeners do um, once they work out um, the relationship is abusive um, and they're already in it? What one thing do you think you know, someone else had told you before you got to this point? Sure. Um, I mean, it sounds probably like a cliche, but at that point, just, you know, it, it is time to leave, you know, to truly figure out well, what is your exit strategy? You know, you, you can never do enough for that other person to change them. And that's something that's really, really important to note and to remember. And I, again, it was seven years of me sticking by someone, trying to support them, trying to help her through therapy, trying to, you know, pay for her endeavors and, you know, help her out of debt, all these different things. There is nothing that you can do to change someone. Once you've identified this person is misaligned, they're not who you want in your life. They're not going to support you and who you want it, where you want to go and who you want to be. It is time for you at that point to figure out um, an uh, effective, feasible, and safe way for you to exit the situation. It's not saying that you can just up and hop away and leave. That's not realistic to everyone's situation. But really, truly consider and find support to help you get there. If it's family, if it's friends, figure out a plan. Again, with the whole thing of strategy, figure out a plan of how you can exit. Um, I, I just, in general, honestly, just the confidence to, to do things comes from having a plan, to being prepared. So that would be, if you really want the confidence to leave, take the time to sit and figure out a strategy of how you can effectively do so with the, your, your own safety and maybe your children's safety in mind. And finally, can you share with us what's next for you and your goals for, for your year ahead and how do you make sure that you are remaining happy and centered? Sure. Um, well, actually, as I've already kind of stated, I do it myself. The five points that I brought, brought out, um, I call them your 2.0s. Um, I've done that. I actually did um, did it. You do it by yourself. I did it by myself. And then I shared them with my wife. And my wife also did them as well. So we determined that they're aligned. So for us, our goals um, are aligned and our focus being on the growth of our family um, with my wife being due in April. So very excited about that. Again, as I mentioned, she is we are in the process of her legally adopting Daxon. So, you know, getting our family growing and um, being stronger. Um, we've also been focusing a lot more on spending time with our family. So, you know, ha- having them come visit more often and us traveling to them more often um, and really just, you know, just nurturing the relationships that we have um, with individuals that we love. You know, a lot, like a lot of times previously for me, my my focus has been on personal development, financial development, professional development. And, and it's gotten me very far in my career. But at this point, our goals are aligned that we want to focus more on those personal relationships and nurturing them. That's kind of our focus and our goals um, for the year. Oh, DM. Um, 
I wish you all the very best for you and uh, your family and, of course, your wife and, and the arrival, the healthy arrival of your child. You. Um, I think you deserve it. You deserve all the happiness. Um, and I'm so glad that you are on this path now. And um, thank you. Thank you so much for talking to us and sharing your experience and how you've re- rebuilt your life. Thank you for having me. Thank you. That brings us to the end of this show. If you, as the listener, have any questions or comments regarding anything that was discussed during the show, please don't hesitate to email us at findingmeafterabuse at gmail.com. If you liked the show, hit subscribe so that you can get every episode straight to your mailbox. And if you have time, give us a quick review to help other people go through the same thing. And finally, thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.